Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on a Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Continuing to break down all that's happening in Major League Baseball. ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney is with us now as he is every Thursday. Buster, I hope you had a great holiday, so let's get right to it. I've got questions on the lockout. We'll get to them soon, but let's start with what we were just talking about. Red Sox make the move last night before the lockout was imposed. They trade Hunter Renfro to the Brewers for two prospects and Jackie Bradley Jr. What did you make of that deal? Um, and boy, it's fun to actually talk about some baseball to yeah. start with, right? And then hopefully it's all baseball that uh, is going to be meaningful. Uh, that deal was a surprise to people around the game. You know, I talked to folks who are not with the Red Sox or not with the Brewers. And they were surprised that the Red Sox made that deal because, A, they thought Hunter Renfro was a really good player for them last year, uh, you know, good complimentary piece, and they saw the struggles that Jackie Bradley Jr. had. Um, and, you know, it was essentially the Red Sox buying the, those two prospects and seeing value in those two prospects. And, you know, that goes in keeping with how Bloom has gradually built up the depth within their farm system. But it was a surprise. Uh, to, to folks I talked with with other teams that they uh, that they did that. I completely agree with you. I just said that in the last segment that this deal was about buying those prospects. But at you know with with that you know understanding, is Bradley a guy at this point with his offense or lack of offense? Can he be an everyday outfielder for the Red Sox, or is he the fourth guy and they need to make another move whenever the market opens back up? Well, and I was talking about this with a friend, uh, you know, who also knows Alex Cora, and we agreed that, you know, probably Alex Cora, as they made this deal, you know, he might have been in the background saying, look, nobody plays center field in Fenway Park, which is very different than any center field of any other park than Jackie Bradley. Uh, and he also may feel like that he can help them offensively. Uh, but if that doesn't happen, uh, I, you do wonder, you know, is this going to be a case where, uh, you know, Jackie, if he struggles, they essentially would move up, move on from him. You know, they'll give him, you know, two, three months, see if he hits, and if he doesn't, be prepared to move on because that's how acute his struggles were last season. So you, so it sounds like you're thinking Jackie Bradley Jr. is the center fielder and Kike Hernandez goes back to second base then? That's what you think the initial plan is? No, 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 no. I, I, don't, I, I think, they'll, you know, it's all moving parts, and it depends on the matchup day to day. Um, you know, and, and I think it just depends on what they see in Jackie as a hitter when, uh, whenever they start spring training and they begin that process. You know, this team was really tight knit last year and Renfro was a part of that. So ordinarily I would say this move could send shockwaves throughout the roster and upset people from a team chemistry standpoint. Does the fact that you're bringing back Bradley alleviate those concerns? I don't know, uh, and you do wonder. I mean, one of the questions we had on the Baseball Tonight set on uh, late Wednesday night was whether or not another element to this uh, could be, hey, you know, you uh, you potentially, uh, in terms of salaries, in terms of clearing a space, maybe it also opened something up for Kyle Schwarber, you know, and maybe, and that was someone who was uh, really valued within the organization in terms of his impact on other people. Schwarber's one of the best players who wasn't signed before uh, the deadline last night, and you know maybe that opens up. But I mean, look, Jackie's a well-liked guy, he's a respected guy. Obviously, Xander Bogarts, Raphael Devers, Alex Cora, all going to be very familiar with him. This is a team buster that went to the ALCS last year. Should they be dealing significant parts of their major league roster in order to build up that farm system? 
Well, on the face of it, you'd say no. What I keep on hearing from the Red Sox people is that they really are excited about the depth they have in their farm system. And look, Heimblum, uh, his uh, training, you know, his formative years were with the Tampa Bay Rays. And what do the Rays do better than anybody? They build up uh, farm system depth. And so when they call up a guy, he seems ready for the big leagues. He's further evolved. Uh, you can't argue with the Rays' success. Uh, I think that's the, you know, that's the blueprint that Heim's working from. You know, you've seen it at a, at a at big market level with the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Dodgers, similarly, under Andy Friedman, who was one time's boss, uh, that's how they operate. It's not apparent to us now. Uh, I'd be very interested to see what our perspective is in another two years. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, with us here every single Thursday on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Pitching-wise, the Red Sox have made a couple of moves. They signed Rich Hill. They signed Michael Waka. They get James Paxton, who we know will be available midseason-ish. What do you think of the rotational moves, and are they enough? Not... I don't think they're enough right now where we can say they could win the division, uh, you know, or go into a season as being the favorites to win a division. But I think they're okay, right? Uh, you know, some of it will depend to some degree on the development of some of their young starters who evolves in. I love the the safety nets effectively that you're creating. Um, you know, you're hoping that in, in uh, you know, Michael Walker's case, that he's someone who can, you know, give you 120 competitive innings. That's uh, I know going into the last offseason, a lot of people looked at him as being a guy who, uh, you know, potentially could fill that role. Uh, you know, I, I love Rich Hill. I think it's a great addition. And, you know, he's such an unusual pitcher because not only does he throw that curveball uh, higher, that, uh, you know, great curveball at a higher rate than any other pitcher in baseball, but he also – He's one of the few pitchers who change arms angles all the time. Uh, and that in itself has made him unique. Uh, and, and I think he's, you know, that, that is someone that you absolutely trust and you hope that, uh, you know, he can help you as you go along. Buster, which American League competitor has gotten the best through free agency? Boy, um, I'm going to say for me this year, this winter, it's the Seattle Mariners. Yes. Uh, and I know you're going to love to hear that, right? <laughs> When you get Robbie Ray, uh, and I, you know, from what I understand from agents, they felt like that there was some traction being made by uh, your Mariners to uh, add a third baseman. Now, when baseball restarts, whether that's in two months or in six months, <laughs> uh, you know, does that mean that they potentially could be a front runner for a Chris Bryant? Does it mean that they would be a front runner for a guy like Trevor Story? I don't know. Uh, but if, in fact, they add a third baseman to what they have with Oakland taking a step back, getting ready to trade a bunch of guys, uh, I kind of like your Mariners. What about you? I, I like my Mariners, too. I said that the most improved team was Detroit, in part because they had more room to make up. Like I don't think Texas has done enough, even with all the offense. They still have so many other holes. No. I think Detroit is the team that I take from you know 77 and 85 last year. I could easily see them going 85 and 77 and being a player in the wild card. I, I don't feel the same way about Detroit. Uh, look, I think that probably the most criticized move that I've heard um, you know, up to the last night's uh, work stoppage was the Tigers' uh, investment in Javier Baez yeah. because the feeling is, is that he, there's just too much swing and miss and 
you know, I, I had a conversation with my 17 year old son who just loves sports. And I said, look, I, you know, I talk to executives all the time and their big question about Javier Baez is, uh, in a perfect lineup, in a perfect uh, place, where would you hit him in a lineup? And he paused for about one second because he, you know, saw the high strikeout, low on base percentage guy, very streaky hitter. He said six. And I said, that's exactly what team executives say to me, that he's more of a six hole hitter. And to pay a six hole hitter, you know, 23, $24 million a year, that, that, uh, is too rich for the blood of a lot of team, of teams in baseball. Buster Olney, ESPN, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, as he is every single Thursday. All right, let's move to the labor stuff. We know we're in a lockout right now. We have no idea how long it's going to last. You have been telling me every week for four years that the situation has never been as bad as it is right now. I think this morning on ESPN Radio, you said you don't think we go to spring training on time. Are we talking about missed games here, you think, in 2022? I think there's a real chance for that. Uh, look, on the show that we did last night, in the midst of that, I got a text message from an agent who said that he sold his clients. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Valentine's Day, Happy Easter, and I'll talk to you about Flag Day, wow. which is June 14th. Um, that would be devastating. You hope that cooler heads prevail. You know, Rob Manfred's history uh, – you know, in negotiations is that he's a deal maker. You know, maybe because of the, the owner's financial losses with the regional sports networks, maybe that compels them. Uh, on the player's side, maybe the fact that the longer the, you know, any work stoppage goes on, the more vulnerable the players are. Maybe they come back to the table at some point, or maybe they, you know, they start to be more proactive in the conversation. I just can't identify that mechanism right at this moment that actually is going to you know, change things. I, I, you know, it's not only about, you know, labor law and the, in the position of each and what their respective, uh, you know, uh, perspectives are, but it's also, uh, to me about whether or not, uh, you know, that there's a collaborative, cooperative, uh, relationship between the two sides. And that's where it's so bad. Like, it doesn't feel like, unlike, even during labor issues in 1990, 94, 95, and 2002, it always felt like that, you know, Gene Orza, Don Fear, and, uh, you know, the MLB negotiators, they could at least have dialogue. They could go for a walk. And I just don't know how much, you know, exploratory dialogue there is going on between the two sides. That's not good. Is, there a, is this a situation where there's a clear right and wrong side, or are there truly valid points on both sides? I don't know. You know, it's funny because last night, uh, you know, I just tweeted out that, well, you know, I have the labor stoppage and there are a couple writers and, you know, a player were tweeting out, well, though, this is, this whole situation is, uh, is, uh, you know, lockout by the owners. They created this. And my response was, well, in 94, 95, when the players struck, was that all the players? Hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. When in fact, it was actually a, a fight among owners that led to that labor. So the idea that, you know, it's all one side or all the other side. I don't think that's nuanced. I think you get down to this. Um, you know, th- this problem was created with that 2016 labor agreement, which turned out to be a disaster for the players. Uh, they are trying to take back the financial ground that they lost then. And it does feel like that they're reaching for trying to reach for a whole lot of it back at once. Uh, you can make an argument that, you know, some of their uh, maybe it's an overreach. And on the other side, I do think that when, you know, you talk about the owners, when we have issues like tanking, where teams like the Orioles cut their payrolls to the bone, the Pirates cut their payrolls to the bone, you know what? Why aren't the owners taking care of that? 
Like, why aren't the owners going to those teams and saying, you know, you have a responsibility within a 30-team league to try to be competitive? Uh, uh, and, and you wish that that would happen. As they say, I, I really feel like that, uh, while they're, you know, you might lean one way or the other, but I do think there, there are adjustments to be made on both sides. Buster, I, I was so excited to talk about Jackie Bradley and Hunter Renfro with you. I glossed over Thanksgiving. You were in Vermont, as I recall. How was it? It was awesome. Yeah, day in, in Burlington, uh, you know, it was down in Addison County, back in Randolph Center for a couple days. Uh, you know, having fun with my siblings, it was awesome. And my, uh, you know, I, I make the world's best mashed potatoes, but <laughs> they got taken over by my niece. She saw, and she saw errors being made by me, so she stepped in, and uh, I thankfully she corrected, and we got a lot better. <laughs> well, I thought of you when I was driving back from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, where I spent Thanksgiving, and when I passed the Randolph exit, I tried to. T- I thought about taking a picture of it as I was driving. I decided that would not be very safe, and I would just wait to tell you that I passed your exit. So uh, I, I was thinking about you though over the holiday. So Buster, we will talk again next week. I don't know what exactly we will talk about, but we will do it again in seven days. There'll be something, Brady.